these things that happen, good and bad. And he says in the 20th verse, He who gives this warning and affirms and testifies to these things says, Yes, it is true. Surely I am coming quickly, swiftly, speedily. Amen. So let it be. Yes, come, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. What do you think about that? I, I thought that just explained something. He who gives this warning, I want to read again, and affirms and testifies to these things, says, Yes, it is true. Surely I am coming quickly, swiftly, speedily. Amen. So let it be. Yes, come, Lord Jesus. I think perhaps that ought to be the prayer of every one of us. Even so come Lord Jesus, but yet we find there's a little bit of halt in that as we begin to ask the Lord to wait just a little while longer. Souls are still in jeopardy, lives are not ready, and at the coming of the Lord, have you ever imagined what it would be, fa what it would be like to face somebody that is supremely holy, not one spot or wrinkle, and has never known any sin whatsoever in any form or any manner? What it would be like to stand in the presence of divinity. Yes. I've thought about it, and some way or other I just can't imagine. It's beyond my uh, imagination as far as uh, my natural mind is concerned. The only insight I get at all is when I get in the presence of God in the Spirit. And then, it, then after I get out from under the influence of the Holy Spirit and get back into myself, I realize what a worm I am how awful I am and how weak this flesh is. And then I get an idea how I'm going to feel when I face the true and the living God when he comes. He is coming again, and we're going to have to face him. I want us to stand just for a few moments, and I want us to sing while I get my microphone on. I want us to appreciate the Lord. I want you to let God have his way. Now, we're in revival. Uh, if there's somebody that feels like they need something any time during the service, see altar is open or we're here I don't have to preach for that matter or others don't have to sing or whatever we're in revival and we're here to help meet your needs through the influence yes. of the Holy Spirit and we don't want your needs to go unattended to for one minute we want you to feel free to come to the altar if you need something to work out yourself just come and stay or if you need some help we'll be glad to help you in fact we'll shut down everything We'll shut our program flat down and let God's take effect, all right? Amen. I want you to know that, and I want you to pass the word on to anybody else that uh, we don't have to have free songs, testimonies, specials, and message, and then the altar call. We don't have to have that. We will have it, and if that's the way God wants it to work, we'll work it that way. But if you feel something in your heart and you want something, you just feel free to come and receive it. And by the way... You can receive the Holy Ghost right there where you're at, right in your seat. Praise the Lord. You can do it while I'm preaching, and I'll stop long enough for you to speak in tongues. And after you get through, why, well, we'll just go right on. This has happened before, and it can happen again. And if you want to want to be baptized, why, you can be buried in His name, and you can come up speaking in tongues. There's just so many different ways to get the Holy Ghost. Praise the Lord. So let's appreciate the Lord right now. Heavenly Father, I'll pray to you. Hallelujah, you appreciate him tonight. Heavenly Father, I'll pray you. 
baptism in the Holy Ghost. It'll be the greatest, greatest event that ever happened in your life, old-fashioned and true. Appreciate those that are uh, careful to labor in the vineyard of the Lord. While all of this was going on, I was trying to rest my weary bones, and I didn't have much of a job of it until after one o'clock, and I got a telephone call, and then I went to sleep and slept real good. I don't guess I knew when morning come, but the sun was trying to shine in my window this morning, and uh, we just appreciate it. Oh, so much. Oftentimes we take one another for granted. We fail to express appreciation because it does take hours, moments, and energy to deliver a child. Didn't I turn it on? Yes, on. Hmm. Always got to be one wise guy in the bunch. You don't know if you can hear me or not. First time to everything, Brother King. <laughs> All right, that means I can't move around. There's a lot of things that we could minister about tonight, and the end time is upon us, and this we're fully aware of, and this is without controversy in any church you go into. And events are happening of this day, happenings and events that sending Bible scholars of every denomination scurrying real hurriedly into the mysterious books of Daniel and Revelations and Jeremiah and all of these for answers that are relative to our day. Many theories, of course, are developing, and each prophet seems to have his own revelation. There are a lot of areas we could deal with for that, as far as that concerned and come up with their own conclusions, perhaps further confuse the listener and confound the matter. A lot of things that need to be dealt with, and one of these days, perhaps, when a revelation becomes clear, we can deal with it. But there's, there's depths and mysteries of the seven churches of Asia. In the revelations, there's seven seals and seven trumpets. When are they supposed to be opened? Have they been opened? Are they being opened now? There's the two witnesses we're talking about. Is it really Elijah and Moses or Elijah and Enoch? Or is it either one of them? And of course, there's the beast that's coming up out of the sea. There's a beast that's coming up out of the earth. There's 144,000. That's people's got them being everything. There's the vials of the wrath of God. Is it to be poured out upon uh, the ungodly? 
You also have the woman that's riding the scarlet-colored beast. Who is the woman? You also have the beast in the number 666. Two Babylons, ecclesiastical and political Babylon. How the false prophet is that the Pope of today? Is he really the false prophet? The battle of Armageddon, when it is, where is it? When it's to be fought? Has it already been fought? Battle of Gog and Magog, what does that consist of? The rapture of the tribulation, which? The thousand-year reign of peace. What's that consist of? Who's in it? The new Jerusalem and the paradise, and on and on and on. We could go, going into the book of Daniel, trying to find some answers for our day. But I want to deal tonight on a very simple subject, something that I feel like would put to rest our fears concerning our lack of understanding of these mysteries. And an individual just asked this week concerning those things and said, I am fearful because my understanding of the Bible and revelations is not good. And each time I listen to a different minister or prophet, I come away with a different idea or a different opinion. He says, I am concerned about what condition I'm going to be in when I meet the Lord Jesus Christ or if I'm going to be able to meet him. And I'm confused and I'm concerned. And he said, what does it actually take to know that you're ready to meet Jesus? Do you have to really understand all of these mysteries? And the very simplicity of it all is this. I think this will come eventually, but I think the primary need of every congregation, every individual, every church everywhere, is to find out what it takes to love God. And we want to talk just a little while on the need of loving God. The need of loving God. I realize a lot of us get up in our testimony, I have been guilty. We'll say, I love the Lord with all my heart, mind, soul, and body. And then we'll live just the opposite. Now, I don't think we were ever really delved into the depth of what it means to truly be in love with God. To love him the way he loves us in return. And at the ending and the close of St. John, after the resurrection of Jesus, some old familiar scripture, Jesus was so concerned about Simon Peter and his love that he asked him three questions. Asked him three times almost the same question. And when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And I don't know what he was pointing to. I'm unaware. I would imagine he was pointing to the world, the things that was beckoning with a finger into the world. And Peter said, Yea, Lord, thou knoweth I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my lambs. Not satisfied again, he comes with a question again and said, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, Feed my sheep. And he said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he had said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love you. And Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. Now, we put a lot of emphasis on the difference between feeding my lambs and feeding my sheep and all of these things, and I think they're interesting, all right, but I think the primary thing that Jesus was wanting to know was whether Peter had the capacity to love or not. 
Amen? And of course we're aware that the law demanded love. The law told us to love our neighbor as ourselves. But in that demand, it never gave us any power to do it. And it is literally impossible for us to love God the way He is supposed to be loved without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Doesn't make any difference what type of a person we are, how loving we are. It is impossible to love the Lord Jesus Christ in the capacity that He needs to be loved without having God Himself in our life. A loving God, in spite of all these mysteries that we don't understand, all these things that are key things of every message, uh, of every denomination almost, and every prophet, in spite of all these mysteries that misunderstood, if we could come up with what it means to be in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, that alone, loving Him, would transport us or give us a one-way ticket into the kingdom of God. Amen? We need to look at ourselves just a little bit and look at some of the scriptures that is involved in it. Luke 10, 20, 10, 25, and 28, A certain lawyer came and said, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now that's a question that's been asked all over and we get so many different answers. But Jesus said, How does the law read? In other words, you have an answer that's in the book. How does the law read? And the lawyer said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Now if the question is still the same today, and I think it is, what does it take to inherit eternal life? What does it take to be saved? Understanding all mysteries is fine. But we're going to read you some scripture after a while to show you many of these things doesn't mean anything. What is of supreme importance is that we know how to love God and that we love Him the way we're supposed to love Him. It says, I love Him with all of our heart. Heart is the seed of our desires and our affections. So love Him with all our desires. Now that's quite a command, isn't it? That's a command probably that's greater than you and I together. Of course, we have innate characteristics of Adam. We have the things that the flesh want to do. But this says in the Scripture to give our desires to God. Every desire we have should be a desire that expresses a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything else should be put down and can be only one way, and that's by the power of the Holy Ghost. Have you ever noticed how uh, frail we are without it? Have you ever noticed how unable we are to cope with situations without it? And then the moment it comes in, it seems like there's something there that will wrestle and fight against all things that are contrary. And usually as newborn Christians, we utilize that because it's fresh in our mind. And after a while, if we're not careful, we'll get away from the love of God through the power of the Holy Ghost. In fact, I'd be safe in saying that many of us loved better and more vibrantly right after we received the Holy Ghost than we do right now. 
Because we fail to realize that to inherit the kingdom of God is not to understand all the mysteries. It's not to be a superhero or a super Christian. But it's just simply a simple thing. And that's learn how to love God. Not man's idea or opinion, but God's. And Jesus went on to say, Thou hast answered right. In other words, you've got it right there, right in the palm of your hand. You've got the answer. You've answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. Now, is it not the purpose of every one of us to live eternally? Is it not our purpose to enter into the kingdom of God? Is it not our purpose to find eternal life? Are we struggling for that? Could I see your hand? Is that not what we're wanting? And that's what the lawyer asked Jesus. And he says, you go find how the law reads. Somebody said, well, we're not under the law. Yes, the same demands are upon us. We just simply have the power to be able to do it that the Holy Ghost provided that the law wasn't able to provide. Love Him with all your desires. Your affections upon Him. You know, when I was running around, I had a, a lot of little puppy love sessions. And I'm sure every one of you did. But there wasn't anything binding to them. I thought sometimes it was real love. And then I would look around and I would see someone that looked better. And my affections was gone then and they were over here. And my desires were being transferred from one to another. And I don't laugh, you did the same thing, men and women alike. But when true love came, when true love came, the affections for something outside were stemmed and dull. My love, all of it, was transferred to one individual. My seated affections went out. My desires was for her. And it hasn't changed after 31 years. You see what I'm trying to say about Jesus? Our desires and our affections cannot be in the frivolous way of a puppy love situation. And there's a lot of adult saints that have only puppy love situations with God. And yet fully expect to inherit eternal life. And the scripture says that you have to love him with all of your heart. That's all of your desires, seed of affections. That you have to love him with all of your soul, which is the seed of your will and emotions. Your will and your emotions has to be tuned toward heaven. And then he goes on to say, with all your abilities or with all your talents. Amen. Look out there. How many has a talent that has never shined through yet? Come on, get up and say, I love God, but yet He's given you something specific that you can do. And oh no, you would rather make your own ideas and opinions, your own demands, rather than listen to God. And then with all of your mind, which is the seat of understanding, everything you understand should be Godward. Everything that you understand should be pointed to Him. There's no mystery in this. It's just simply true divine love. Peter always answered, I filio you, or I am fond of you. That's all he could say. But God was asking for something deeper than that. He was saying, I want you to agape me. I want you to love me with a divine love. 
But Peter couldn't say he could because he had nothing inside of him that could give divine love. At that day, at the day of Pentecost, when he was filled with the Holy Ghost, there was something inside of him that let him love Jesus the way Jesus loved him. A lot of questions was answered that day with old Peter. He couldn't say, Lord, I love you divinely. Because in his flesh he can't, and neither can you and I. There's no way are we standing in our flesh without the Spirit of God inside of us can love God the way he needs to be loved. Now somebody said, are you preaching that you have to have the Holy Ghost to go to heaven? You answer that question. You just listen to what I'm trying to say. Because if you want a good, simple way to get into heaven, forget about the mysteries, they'll come. Forget about the ideas and opinions. Forget about your battle of Gog and Magog and Armageddon. And focus your attention upon one thing. And that's to ask God to teach you how to love as He loves. Now I don't think that's impossible. I think that is just as possible as it can be. Our problem is that our affections haven't gone deep enough with God. Stay with me. You know it's so. And we transfer our affections. God is good and God is great when His power is set upon us. I then let some Jezebel of the world walk by. And I'm not speaking in terms of a woman. And let any type of lust or pleasure flirt itself in our way and our affections are immediately turned from God to that. So consequently, we are not loving with the divine love of God. Paul was dealing with a gift-crazed church at Corinth. And he had some words to say that when I really looked at that to study it, it amazed me that the Apostle Paul could or would put conditions like that there. He was talking about the gifts. He didn't say they shouldn't be there. They should, but he said, cover earnestly the best gifts, and yet I'll show you a more excellent way. I want to turn to the Amplified Version, and I want to read you, it's pretty long, but I want you to heed it, I want to read to you some strong language indeed. And this is what he said, If I speak in tongues of men and angels, but have not love, agapus, that reasoning, intentional, spiritual devotion, such as is inspired by God's love for us and in us, I am only a noisy gong or a clangling, clanging cymbal. Now we as Pentecostals and have put much emphasis upon tongues, and it is actually, it is the sign of the Holy Ghost. And we're talking about here the gift of tongues, and when we see somebody with a gift of tongues, we look at them as if they're super Christians. And they are being used of God. But to use those without finding how to love God, he says you become as a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal that has no music whatsoever. Now that's what God looks at. And then it said, if I have prophetic powers, and the world is filled with prophets, and there is prophecies going everywhere, there's prophecies in this church. And he said, if I have prophetic powers... That is the gift of interpreting the divine will and purpose and understand all the secret truths and mysteries and possess all knowledge. And if I have sufficient faith that I can move mountains, 
but have not love, God's love in me, I am nothing, a useless nobody. I want us to stop long enough to look at something that is very pertinent to our hour. Can a man possibly, is it possible for a man to be able to do these things and still not love God? But there it is. Am I wrong when I suppose that God is demanding in these things a divine love? Am I supposing that he would give these gifts to individuals that had not fully loved him? And sometimes I want to shrink back and say no. And yet the Bible is saying that if I have these things and I don't have love, it's a noisy gong. Or if I have prophetic powers and able to prophesy and even faith that I can move mountains and I don't have love. If I don't have divine love, if I haven't learned how to love, I am a useless nobody. He's saying that let man proclaim and have every gift of the Spirit, and without them they are a useless nobody. Even if I dole out all that I have to the poor in providing food, and if I surrender my body to be burned in order that I may glory... But have not God's love in me, I gain nothing. I'm sure this is not news to us, but I want to read to you the definition and the description of God's divine love. I want to read to you what it does, and then I want to leave you with a question to yourself. Do I love like Jesus wants me to love? Do I love enough to gain entrance into the kingdom of God? You see, we just went from this where Jesus said, Thou hast answered right this do, and thou shalt live. That's a law. It hasn't been done away with. It still stands. Love like this, and you get eternal life. Now it says, love endures long. Love is patient and kind. Love is not envious. Neither does it boil over with jealousy. It is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. Love is not conceited. Love is not arrogant and inflated with pride. It is not rude unmannerly, does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. Love is not touchy. Ouch. You know, sometimes we wake up on the wrong side of the bed and we excuse ourselves by saying, well, I just had a bad day. And we're so touchy that people are almost afraid to talk to us because they're afraid they'll get their head bit off. Okay, how many of us have ever been in this position? And it says, but now love, God's love, that love that will transport us into the kingdom is not touchy, it's not fretful, neither is it resentful. Anytime, any place, anywhere, with anybody. This is God's love. The love that will take any one of you and I without any understanding the great mysteries. This love will take us into the kingdom of God. You want a one-way ticket into heaven? This is your one-way ticket. 
and almost the only way that we're going to be able to get into it. Love is not self-seeking, it's not touchy, it's not fretful, it's not resentful, it takes no account of the evil done to it and pays no attention to that suffered wrong. In other words, people can do wrong to you and there'll be no vengeance in your heart. You won't seek to, for justice be, to be done. Love don't pay any attention to the suffered wrong. You've wrongly suffered. And love don't take any count of the evil. In other words, it don't stack it up and say, I owe you one. I mark this one down. Love doesn't keep count. There's no ledger upon how many afflictions you suffered and how many evil things has been heaped upon you and how many things a brother or sister has said or done that would hurt you. Love doesn't keep count. There's no ledger as far as love is concerned in any way. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevails. Love bears up under anything. This type of love I'm talking about bears up under anything. In other words, whenever flesh has failed, when you went to your wit's end, when you've gone as far as you can go, there needs to be something, a magnetism of some type in our heart to allow us to seek refuge in the Holy Ghost and say, God, in my place I can't, and in my spirit I can, and I want to love like you love through the power of the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost is like a light. It's in there. You don't turn it on. It's of no value. You don't utilize it. It lays there dormant. And oftentimes we have had the Holy Ghost for years and have never used it for the thing in which it was meant to be used. We have shouted in it. We have gloried in it. We have ministered to the necessity of it. And we have used it as a benefit for us in the gifts of the Spirit and said it would bring forth the fruits of the Spirit. Friend, what God is looking for the Holy Ghost, the tongues is the evidence of the Holy Ghost and God is looking for the law is to meet us when we've done that which is wrong love bears up under anything when you've gone at your limit and I, I'd be safe in saying I think sometimes we feel like we have to go to a wit's end as far as flesh is concerned and all the time it would have been good if we would have just allowed love to sustain us. If we'd use love for a prop, how can I do this? Through the Spirit of God. Learn how to love Jesus. And when you learn how to love Jesus, there'll be no sin reigning in your mortal body. And you'll be able to do the things you're supposed to do. And if you need to understand mysteries, the revelation of them will come. Just be right that simple. And everything that comes, it bears up under anything and everything that comes. That doesn't leave too much, does it? Amen? It is ever ready to believe the best in every person. Hmm. I don't believe I really know how to love. I've just about preached myself under conviction. I don't guess I bothered you any, but I just about decided that I, I really... I really haven't had an inkling of what it's trying to say. And I, I'll have to say, I, I've, had, I've had a few uh, 
moments that I didn't rest too good after God just more or less impressed this and said, you look at it and see if it isn't saying what it is saying. And then he impressed me to go in this instead of to further explain it. And love is ready to believe the best in every person. Its hopes are fatalist under all circumstances. In other words, it doesn't seem to matter whether the sun is shining brightly or not. Love never fades. Love never fails. Everything else will let us down, but love never fails. It endures everything without weakening. Love never fails, never fades out. It becomes obsolete or comes to an end. Hallelujah. Tells us all these material things we have in this world one of these days is going to go. But there's one thing that God has placed within our heart if we utilize it, and that is the love of God through the power of the Holy Ghost, and it never becomes obsolete and never will come to an end. That love will march with you into the kingdom and will be there with you for eternity's on end. And there's nothing else left. Love is there. And we'll get on down here in just a few minutes and we'll show you what it's all about. As for prophecy... That is the gift of interpreting the divine will and purpose. It will be fulfilled and pass away. As for tongues, they will be destroyed and cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. That is, it will lose its value and be superseded by truth. For our knowledge is fragmentary, incomplete, or imperfect. And our prophecy, our teaching, is fragmentary, incomplete, and imperfect. But when, that, when, but when the complete and perfect, or the total, comes... The incomplete and imperfect will vanish away, become antiquated, void, and superseded. Everything that we have as Pentecostals based our hope of entrance into eternal life on is going to fade and cease, and there's but one thing we will be left with to enter into the kingdom of God, and that is what it brought to us, the love of God, through and by the power of God's divine spirit. It is utterly impossible to love God with the spirit of man. Now God demands that love and says love is no respecter of person. And it is foolish for you to me to stand here and tell you that in myself I can love without preference. And if you're honest with me, you'll have to say the same thing. Because there's some your love reaches out and embraces, and there's others that give you such a hard time that there's no way to love them. Only through the power of the Holy Ghost. But with God's love and power, and not super, not letting it supersede your love, it is possible to love every soul that you come in contact with. You can love the drunk man. You can love the prostitute. You can love the dope addict. You can love brother or sister that's hard to like, but you like them anyway. But not within yourself. Many a Christian has fell by the wayside and failed simply because of what the law demanded. And it's no different in our day. It is still a law. It still demands. It still says, love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, how many of you have ever stopped and looked at your neighbor and it says, who is my neighbor? And that's inclusive. It's not next door. And how many of you looked around at humanity, which is your neighbor, and in being truthful, actually said, I love them like I love myself? 
But yet that is God's divine law. And that is what the lawyer said. And Jesus says, Thou hast answered right. This do and thou shalt live. And of course we said before and we'll say again, love demanded. It demanded truth. It demanded holiness. And there was no power in it. And Jesus, not doing away with the law, but fulfilling the law, came and gave us His Spirit and said, Now you can love your neighbor as yourself through Me. Not without Him. That's why He tells us to walk no longer after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Because He knows it is humanly impossible for us to love our neighbor, that's humanity, without respect. You've got people that you think more of. You've got your, your family. Human love will love your family more than it will love that little tot down the road. It'll love your uh, mother, father, your brother, sister more than love those outside. That's human love. That's filial. That's fondness. But in order to enter into the kingdom of God, we're going to have to be more than fond of Jesus. I'll say it again. In order to inherit eternal life, we're going to have to discover what is not a secret that so many of us have not adhered to it. We're going to have to learn how to love God as He loves us. And realize it cannot be done only when we have an awakening of the Spirit within us. And if we live after the Spirit and not after the flesh, then we'll have life. There's no doubt about it. Romans 13 and 10 says, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling of the law. And the law is what? Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And love does not harm. The word is kakos in the Greek, which means does not harm in word or deed. Love does not harm in word or deed to your neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. Amen. Let's drop that right where it is. Okay. John 1, or 1 John 5, 2 to 3, I believe it is, says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. 2 Corinthians 5.14, Paul says that whether he is beside himself or sober, it is for your cause. Now listen to what he says. Now the Apostle Paul had a lot of problems, just like every pastor does and even today. He said whether we've been beside ourselves or sober, it is for your cause. And why? For the love of God constraineth us. In other words, it takes control of us. The love of God takes control of us. Paul was actually saying, now if I had had my way on a lot of occasions, I couldn't and wouldn't have loved you. I would have left you in your contrariness, in your ideologies, and I would have left you set in your hardness of heart, but love took control of me and I ministered the gospel. 
Though it might have fell on deaf ears, Paul said, love took control of me. Love made him preach. Love made him embrace. Love made him walk to valley of the shadow of death. Love put him in the deep at one time. Love put the straps upon his back. Love put him in jail and in prison. Love brought him to his death without that. And what was that love? The power of the Holy Ghost inside of him. And when Paul died, he could say those words, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Why? Because love took control of him. Love doesn't control us only when it's easier for us to be controlled by God. When the sun is shining bright, when the revival spirit is high, watch out, Brother Hostel, you're in your revival before it gets started. When your revival spirit is high, it is easy to love. Everybody looks good. Of course, there's a love of God shed abroad. It's brought to the forefront. It's striving and it's moving. We're praying, we're fasting, and we're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And that way we can love. But let us get back to the same old grind. Start walking again in the flesh. Start losing sight of the Holy Spirit of God and what it's in there for. And the first thing you know, there'll be murmurings, grumbling, complainings, divisions, and evil thoughts and evil things come up in our heart, which is place. And let us not think for a moment that should Jesus come at that particular time in our life, that we would enter into the kingdom of God. Humanly impossible. Divinely impossible. That's why the Spirit told us to keep flesh under control at all times. And if we find ourselves in this predicament, you should not wait for the revival. You should not wait for the altar. You should not wait for anything. You should immediately get down on your knees for who knows when God will call you out of this life with this type of a Spirit controlling you. Paul says... I'm beside myself a lot of times. And I'm sober a lot of times. And it's for your cause. I do it for you, he says. And I wouldn't do it for you except the love of God took charge of me and compelled me and drove me. The Holy Spirit ruled Paul's life from the start of his conversion to its finish. A man that lived under control of the Holy Spirit, under compulsion of the Holy Spirit, and 1 John 4.18 says there is no fear in love. That is God's love. Perfect love. There's no fear in that. Because we have learned how to relax in the arms of God. If we can believe the Bible, if we can believe what God says about the Holy Spirit, which brings love, it says, I will never leave you, I never forsake you, and we with you always, even unto the end of the world. That's God's promise. And if we had that and embraced it with the love of God, there would be no fear in our lives. Because he said, perfect love, agape love, cast out fear. Now God had a reason to send that love. Because whether you believe it or not, He's always loved you in a manner that we don't fully quite understand. And he said, perfect love has been given to you. 
And it'll cast out fear because fear hath torment. And I don't like to see my children tormented. You want to get the best of a father or mother? You want to arouse their spiritual indignation? You want to arouse their wrath? You want to do that? Then you start tormenting their children. You start doing something and they'll hurt inside. And they'll do whatever's necessary to get them out of that torment. And God is saying the same thing to John. I gave you love, perfect love, that'll cast out the fear because I don't want you tormented. I love you too much to see you running around in torment. I know you have an adversary. I know you have an enemy. I know that's what he wants to do. And whether you want to believe it or not, if the devil knew this moment that he could never that He could never damn your soul, He would still torment you because that's how much He hates God and His hatred of God is that much because He knows how much God loves you. Yeah. And when He's belittling you and torturing you and mocking you and tormenting you, He knows God is hurting. And God said, I'm going to take care of that old boy. I'm going to give that place, something inside of them, and if they will utilize it, I'm going to give them something to do away that fear and torment that's in their lives. I'm going to teach them, if I can, how to rely upon the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell them that it doesn't make any difference. I won't ever leave them. I won't ever forsake them. I'll always be there. How do we love God? How do you do this in trying to close? If a man say, I love God, and hateth, that word comes from misio, which has malicious feelings or animosity toward. So if any man say, I love God, and uh, have malicious feelings or animosity toward his brother, he is a liar. I didn't say that, the Bible did. Okay? For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? So how can we love God? By learning how to look through the power of the Holy Ghost to the ups and downs, the facts and figures, and the failures of our brothers and sisters, and determine not our love for them on the basis of their merits, and upon the basis of the holy love of God that is instilled within us. Loss of love, of course, is one of the first signs of departure from God. If you want to know where you're at in God, and if you're actually honest with yourself, if you want to know if you're backsliding, if you're slipping from God, then determine on what scale your love is in comparison to what it should be, what it even was at one time. Loss of love. Let's listen to what he says. Jesus listed loss of love as one of the signs of his soon coming. Because he said, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. In other words, he's saying there was those that knew how to love in the Spirit, but iniquity came. Sin came. And this pleasure-mad world began to rob them of their love, and they waxed cold in my love. 2 Timothy 2.3 says, Traitors, that's in the last days, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. 
Revelations 2.4 expresses something we need to take heed as he says that I have somewhat against you, talking about the church of Ephesus, because thou hast left thy first love. In fact, that was a serious charge against that church. Of course, God had introduced to them the love through the power of the Holy Ghost, the love which would transport them into the kingdom of God. And he said, I've got something against you. You've got all of these good points, that there's something that's going to keep you out, and that's the fact that you left your first love. In other words, you're not loving like you should or like you did. You've almost forgot how. Owe no man anything, Romans says, but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Now, if I read the Scriptures right, it is not the mysteries of God that we understand. It is not the gifts of the Spirit that we demonstrate. It is not the idiocracies or idiosyncrasies of our day or the traditions of our church that causes us to have eternal life, but the fulfilling of the law, which is by the love of God that gains us entrance into the kingdom of God. Nothing but God's love. Now let's don't get confused about mysteries. Let's don't worry about when Russia is going to attack. Let's don't worry about whether the beast over there is three stories high as a computer or not. All possibilities it'll be used by the beast, but not be the beast. Let's not worry about Iran and Persia and Turkey, which are about ready to turn its side over to Russia, thus getting all the nations it's spoken of. Let's don't worry about them so much right now. Let's worry about our ability to love God. I would like to appeal to your heart and soul. And God has dealt with me drastically on this thing and said, tell the church to learn how to love me. Tell them to search my scriptures and tell them to find out what it entails in order to love me in its fullest. And then when this has happened, I will give them the gateway to eternal life. The door will naturally swing open and Jesus will say you have an inherited eternal life. He'll pull the door to the kingdom open and say come on in thou good and faithful servant. From the Greek that means loving and trustful servant. And he invites them in. Lovest thou me, Peter? It's important, Peter, that you love me. It's